We acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast is recorded. We pay our respect to their leaders, past, present and emerging. Hello, listeners. Welcome to Leadership of Fools. I am very excited to be back in my own very comfy chair uh, hosting this episode of Leadership of Fools, joined, of course, with Colin Beattie. Good morning, Colin. Uh, thanks, Amanda. I'm, I, too, am in my makeshift uh, studio, which, um, <laughs> in fact, I might even take an image of it and uh, put it up for everyone to see. It's a combination of blankets and pillows and because um, I'm stuck in the garage, I can't find anywhere else to work these days. So I'm trying to make the most of it. Yes, I am um, certainly in a blanket fort. Um, not for recording, just because that's all there is to do these days. No, that's yeah, not true at all. Blanket fort. I, yeah. I'm, I'm going to introduce our... Sorry, get our guests involved straight away. Did you ever have a blanket fort, Christine? Do you know what a blanket fort is? No, I don't. Please okay. invite me. What is it? Amanda, can you tell us what a blanket fort is? It's, uh, it's when you get all the blankets and, and dunas, duvets, bedspreads in the house and you make your own uh, kind of castle or cubby house, if you will. Uh, you usually prop them over tables and chairs so that you can sit in underneath it and um, the idea as a kid was that uh, while you're in that blanket fort uh, it is impenetrable uh, no no adults can get in there they can't see that you've stolen biscuits or or sweets or lollies or anything or that you just just under there reading a book but it, it is the perfect uh, it's like a, a an isolation chamber for a child is the the blanket fort Nice. Yes. I, um, one of those. Like, sorry? I think I need one of those when I yeah. doing deep creation and try to be just stay focused. I just need to cover myself. It's like no one is going to talk to me. So yeah. that, that sounds perfect to me. It is perfect. And look, you know, we've heard from you now. We haven't heard from Wesley yet, but let, let let's make the formal introduction because the listeners have now heard your wonderful voice. Today we are joined by two very wonderful guests. We have Christine Yule you've just heard from. Hi, Christine. Hi. Hello, everyone. So excited. And we are, oh, we are excited to have you, Christine. And we are also joined by Wessa Chow. Hello, Wessa. Hello. I'm really excited to be here today. I tell you what, it's just lovely to be met immediately with such positivity, isn't it, Cole? Absolutely. And Wessa, did you ever have a blanket fort? No, it's actually not my thing, funnily enough. Yeah. What's your yeah. thing? Um, my thing is actually just to cover my face with the with my own doona, and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> it's simple. It's to the point, and it's effective, and I love it. <laughs> that's it. Oh, this is lovely. Look, we'll get straight into it. Um, but it's so nice to be starting with such joy. Um, we do have a, a very gritty topic today, one that we're going to dive into. But by all means, it doesn't mean we have to lose our sense of humour and our sense of joy. And I think you're both the perfect people to, to get into this topic with Colin and I. Um, so posing the question, and here it is, what do leaders, especially in New Zealand and Australia or Australia and New Zealand, <laughs> I'm going to ask that again, Cole. <laughs> <laughs> what, what do leaders, especially in Australia and New Zealand, need to do to educate themselves about racism? And how can every leader contribute to the solution, not avoid or just hope that someone else is doing it? So it's a pretty big, gritty topic that I managed to mess up, which is why I'm here to be educated. Cole, <laughs> what's uh, your first take? Thanks, Amanda. Um, I uh, we're, we're we're in the middle of 2020. In fact, sometimes I can't exactly work out what day it is or what month it is. But we're in the middle of 2020 and um, experiencing a global pandemic and uh, experiencing social unrest and political unrest and uh, issues of race, issues of um, you know people's sense of their uh, 
their, their social justice and their freedoms. Uh, it's a it's a it's a crazy period in the uh, the life of the world, but at the same time, it seems like such a wonderful opportunity for some really sustained change. So, on that basis, I'm uh, excited. It's probably not the right word. I'm enthusiastic and uh, humbled to kind of start examining questions like this, particularly with people like Christine and Wessa, who um, uh, I, I know, and every time we're together, we both smile and laugh, but we also seem to be able to talk about things that really matter. So um, I'm really looking forward to this. Uh, I'm almost tempted just to get the conversation underway. Uh, there's something about that question that is about education in the first place, like, um, solving racism is probably not something we're going to fix in the next 20 minutes uh, in this podcast, but, but there's something about leaders educating themselves. Uh, Christine, I might even throw to you first. When, when you think about the question itself, what, what does it get you thinking? It gets me thinking um, education is interesting, this word, because you cannot ignore it now news everywhere when you you know switch on the tv read online is everywhere um i think the key is more the willingness to challenge your mind yes, yes. what you read not just say this is just some some sort of data there's nothing to do with me yes um it's more about after reading it and willingness to really challenge it what do i know about racism how does that relate it to me and we learn about the new data. There are a lot of new data because racism, I have to call it is sometimes it's a taboo and dirty words that people don't often talk about it. But we have a crisis of belonging. Yes, we do. We have a crisis oh, of belonging yeah. in this in this world, and racism linked directly to it. And now there are a lot of new data set come out. Racism is directly correlated with our level of health and performance at work and at home. The new set of data is out there. So re-educate using the new set of data and willingness to challenge what you already know and learn what you have learned and learn new things. I think that's that's what, uh, that's the first thing that pop up in my mind. Amazing. Yeah. Um, uh... A crisis of belonging that was wow you know i like that's immediately got me thinking a million things um where so you uh the the nodding in agreement the how does that how does all of that sit with you and your first initial thoughts when you heard the question yeah and i agree with uh christine's discussion about whether or not leaders are willing to actually solve it and also when there's racism it's really difficult to talk about diversity in the boardroom. Yeah. Um, it's hard to talk about diversity in senior leadership because there are people who are not able to get into those roles because of this invisible barrier where yeah. they just can't access it or you know people don't actually understand um, all the difference, different things that they have to go through in order to jump through all the hoops and still not be not being able to get there. So I think racism impacts a lot. Uh, and Deakin University also did a research and calculated the costs of racism to our economy. And it's estimated to be $44.9 billion, which is about 3.6% wow. 3. of GDP. Are you serious? Yeah. Wow. And, and I don't, if that if that was a like if that was a tech issue, they'd have fixed it, wouldn't they? Like well, when it, you hear exactly. that dollar amount, if you hear that dollar amount, you think, uh, you know, so many governments are motivated by money, uh, or so many industries are motivated. By, like hearing that, that seems to be a. You, I mean, that's also taking out the human cost, but wow, that's incredible. Yeah, and they did it from the decade between 2001 and 2011. So it's not just one year that they calcul calculated the cost of it. Um, so it's over about 10 years. So I think people need to understand what it really means. And it's uh, only recent that there are more of this research that's been done. 
and hopefully soon enough that the leaders will actually start to look at the data and as Christine say look at the data and do something different about it so let me take almost I think it's a half step back um, what I think I'm hearing is there is so much there's so much data now there's so it's in our it's on our news channels it's in our social media it's everywhere um, you know, I'll give you a very practical example. The, the NBA basketball uh, restarted and uh, every single player has something about race essentially on, on the back of their jerseys, uh, back of their singlets. Um, it's something that you'd be hard pressed to avoid. Um, but there's still a barrier and whether it's the word taboo or whether it's too complicated or too hard or too confronting, there's a taboo that uh, is stopping a lot of people from saying, okay, what do I do next? And what do I do next doesn't have to be, this is how to solve it, <clears throat> but what do I do next to immerse myself and better understand it? Uh, Christine, you mentioned the word taboo. Do you want to just go a bit further with it? What do you think? is playing out when you say the word taboo? I think the word racism is historically, I think Wessa can add to that as well, because I think racism, this word to me and in organisation, is a very pathological word. It's yeah. a word that the society has a problem. We need to talk about it. Yes, it has a problem. We need to solve it. And yet, well... That's why people don't talk about it because people hate talking about problem. Yes, yes. And this is when I was studying in uh, in United Nations years ago. We talked about all sort of different global issues like health, injustice, and things like that. We talk about racism. We talk about this, and the one thing that I know is globally, we actually don't have a definition of racism right because right. It's always sensitive to human psychology <laughs> so sensitive that no country let alone all country to agree with a definition of racism yep. so i find it fascinating we all have uh, a you know a goal how to reduce you know carbon uh carbon released and to reach a certain goal for climate change or health uh, and justice. We have a goal around the country level, but we don't have a goal for a crisis of belonging, which is human nature. We don't have a goal for that. And I find it fascinating. That's why I thought it's a taboo. Sorry, I don't know if, if actually I answer your question, but I get passionate about it. Wes, uh, and we'll throw to you in a moment, but what I'm struck by is... Um, let, let, let me just take, a, again, another sidestep around this. I, one of the reasons why we put Leadership of Fools together was it was about leadership conversations. Um, and it's starting either with problems or with opportunities. You know, so if I was to revisit the last couple of years, they've always, it's always started with a question of, you know, so we did episodes on Me Too or Everyday Sexism, or we did an episode even on what innovation is. Um, and how can we access it? So there's something um, fascinating for me that the topic racism, it's actually okay to start with, what does that mean to us? Like, and maybe the, even the four of us haven't even done that. Like, what does it mean to us? Um, that becomes a basis for a conversation. Like from there, we can better understand each other. Um, I, I have a suspicion about a few things. Um, not only do people not like talking about problems, they they do not like talking about problems that make them feel really uncomfortable. Um, and number two, they have a heightened sense, am I going to say something wrong? Am I going to say something that will offend you or something that will be actually racist or interpreted as racist? So there's all these barriers that's stopping people from even having the conversation, getting it started as simply as what does racism mean? Yeah. And I think also there's that acknowledgement that we can learn and change. And 
that's also really, really hard to sometimes, you know, like in, 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 in my life, I'm sure, in fact, I know I'm sure I'm guilty of certain behaviours that because of the environment I was in, I just went along with the norm. It's that idea you said, Christine, about belonging. Uh, you just go with the flow and you don't ask questions, is that right or wrong? And then your world expands and you realise, whoa, I can't believe I walked past that or that I allowed that to happen or that I was a part of that. Um, but we can't be afraid of saying, I, I'm learning, I'm changing. And, you know, I can, I can say that as a very white woman <laughs> that I have so much to learn. And so, yeah, it comes back to that willingness to listen, to learn, to acknowledge. Um, yeah, I get blown away by the amount of times I learn something new on these topics uh, because I'm, I, I'm just a product of my environment. And unless I get out of my environment, I'm going to, every time I move to a new environment, I'm learning more. Um, I also didn't answer any questions or ask any just then. No, what no, a no, terrible. No. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Wessa, Wessa, let's hear from you. I think what uh, Colin said was um, was very important. It's it's almost like we we don't want to really talk about or even ask the question of what is racism actually about yeah. in any conversations. Yeah. And because racism is very, it can be very subtle, but it can also be very, very overt. Yeah. And usually when we think about media reports, it's usually the latter, which is the more, um, more direct and, and yeah. threatening ones. But I think what people don't realize sometimes is, and this goes back, and this is for Australia particularly, yeah. um, yeah. Australia is built from racism. Yep. So when we think about the reason why we created Australia as a nation, the first legislation that went through Australian Parliament was a white Australia policy, yep. uh, which was to prevent non-Europeans from coming to Australia. So our, our foundation of Australia is built on that. And yep. then going back even a bit further, when we when we think about when the first settlers came to Australia, and obviously we know how how they treated the indigenous people, um, and and again it's it's built on racism and not not being able to live together, even though it was actually the settlers that came to Australia that took land from from their first Australians. So I think I think we, uh, we we sort of need to understand the history a little bit. Yes. To understand why people are so afraid because there's a lot of guilt as well. As soon as you say racism, it's like, oh, you know, all the things that our ancestors did yeah. in the past. Yeah. And and so there's right. almost like a um, generational guilt there and so for indigenous people it's the generational trauma of having to deal with that and for the um anglos is the is the generational guilt yeah i uh, again i wonder whether and again this is offered with the intent of maybe help helping and i hope it helps um if you're going to take um enter a topic conversation from a place of uh, guilt or a sense of wanting to defend or wanting to argue about it. Like we're, we're not going to get very far. Um, I think, you know, the simple way of saying this is if I enter this conversation from a place of curiosity, genuine interest, it is fascinating. Like so much of the world's his history is fascinating. Um, and I think, uh, again, we don't have to generalise and blame the school system or blame... No, you know, we do, Colin, we do. I want names, I want addresses. We do. Um, <laughs> we've, got, we've got only so much time to solve but, this. <laughs> but I do wonder why um, there's something about white uh, or typically uh, white Australia that says, let's not understand our history and let's not understand our history with race and... Uh, uh, the relationship with Indigenous people and relationship with uh, 
like I grew up in a small country town and uh, at that point in time, there was a, uh, both an indigenous communities and a com communities of people who came from Italy and, and Greece and the, the, the tension that existed there. And uh, both of you have a uh, connection with uh, a Asian heritage and that sort of generation. Wow, there are so many incredible stories and if you just stop and listen and ask questions about it, even if you don't learn something, you kind of are learning something, but it's really interesting at the same time. Um, what, uh, what, how do you, Christine, how do you describe racism? You know, if I said to you the question, what is racism? Um, and why as a leader should I be interested in it? Like, how would you typically answer that? You mean, what is racism to me or? Yeah, what is racism to you? Yeah. Uh, racism to me is more than just a problem um, that we need to solve. It's about your identity in the world. Right. It, it's about who you are in the world and how much that you are included. Yeah. Okay. In 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 a human race or in in a in a demographic, right? Um, or excluded as well. Is it? Is, is or that, excluded uh, as yeah. well. Correct. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So that's racism to me. That's why it's fundamental right. uh, that we cannot not talk about it for, for that for that belonging piece. Um, because it's nature, it's human nature that we wanted to feel belonged. Um, um, yeah. That needs to love and you know all that uh, really true existence in the world right that that's that's essentially that's what it is um and why the leader need to pay attention to it is i think it's really because now particularly in australia we have a very multicultural population yes and now i think historically we, now we actually evolutionary actually get better to have more culturally diverse individual in the workforce yes. okay um yes. not at every level but in the workforce yep. but when we got them in are we really leveraging them or are we actually uh acknowledging hey you are a unique person a human being and how do we leverage what you have and I see you, I hear you, uh, you can use what you've got to perform. Yeah. Yeah. I think, of course, leadership linked to performance yeah. and you cannot not talk about human yeah. and diverse workforce that you have. How do you use them, leverage them and actually empower them um, to do, to perform their best every day? And I think that's why leaders need to look at it in that fundamental. It's like you look at you look at your technology system because we are moving so quick with our technology. But hang on a minute, like we forget about how about our human as a capital. We talk about human capital all the time. Yes. Technology is one set of capitals, but human capitals. So I think it's, it's fundamentally we need to recalibrate the 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 system to look at how we leverage and empower every single human being and we have different diverse human it that's how beautiful our population is yeah uh, yeah <laughs> that's it that's why uh, i think if, if, if wes is just like nodding and smiling and beaming um tell us tell us what's on your mind wesa it's uh interesting listening to christine's response because hers is such a typical psychologist response <laughs> and my response is going to be a very efficacy response as an advocate a previous advocate good team for me racism is really about discriminating people based on their face color their hair color and where they come from, basically, um, from, from my perspective. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
And uh, and I think from a leadership perspective, the reason why leaders need to think about this is because when you have a look at every organization's uh, values, respect is always there most yeah. most of the time. But then if you discriminate people based on anything, how can you talk about respect? How can you say that your organization is about respect? So your actions is not actually showing when it comes to the, uh, it's not really reflecting the actual values that organizations claim they value. And for some organizations, it could be also fair and equitable. Again, if you discriminate people based on race, you're not fair and equitable. Can I ask, my apologies for interrupting you there. I'm fascinated now, and I'd love to hear from both of you how you react to this. If um, If you sit on a board or if you're in a leadership team, um, arguably, you could tackle this topic from belonging, the question of belonging, or the question of diversity, or now even the question of respect, or even the question of are we extracting and leveraging our full human capital? Would the two of you advocate starting from those topics or starting from the topic of racism? Like actually let's talk about racism. that's a very, very good question because when talking to senior leaders, yeah. I do talk about diversity. I talk yeah. about respect. I talk about all the other words except for racism. Yeah, for, right, right. <laughs> for the reason that it could trigger people, yep. depending on who they are and whether or not they're curious enough. Yeah to talk about it and as christine said they see it as a problem and most organizations don't want to start with oh we've got a problem yeah yeah Yeah. and also just to add on to what wes has said not just a problem but it's a problem that is so complicated that they don't know how to start and as what colin you mentioned about it's not just a problem but it's also a problem where is I worry I will say something to offend people. As a leader, the cost is too high to do something wrong to even trigger more of the ripple effect of, oh my God, what did I just say? Did I not solve the problem, but raise another problem around racism? Um, I think that's why it's very challenging for leaders. And I understand that that side as well. It's interesting, isn't it? Because from um, the background that I am in as a performer um, and uh, we have uh, it's, it's Im- improvisation and it's a real, uh, there's, there's a lot of communities across the world, but we take a lot of cues from what's happening in, in the United States. And of course, they're going through, the world is going through, but in particular, that focal point on America with Black Lives Matter, for instance, and they're doing a lot in that space, um, theatre spaces um, and performance spaces to make sure that that is acknowledged. It's interesting how we find it so much easier to address sexism and, um, uh, you know, homophobia, um, any of those uh, things. We, We seem to be able to say the words without feeling triggered, even if we're for instance, uh, men can talk about sexism now. Uh, 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 heterosexual people can talk about the uh, community at large and how diverse that is. And we can all agree to that. But we are still a lot of, and I'm going to say it because I am a white person, but a lot of white people are scared of the word racism. Um, and yet we can tackle other things. It's interesting, isn't it, that that's still a trigger word for so many people. They can happily sit and talk about uh, gender or um, sexuality, but they can't talk about that still in, in such a, a pointed way. Yeah. And, and in some ways, I do have to acknowledge the gender advocates who have worked for so many years to actually get sexism as a word that people can actually talk about, because I think in the past it was a taboo as well. But because of all the things that happened, because of the Me Too movement is starting to take effect, 
And I'm hopeful that with what's happening in the US right now and with more conversations, we can talk about racism in exactly the same way. That's That builds, uh, uh, for me, a huge sense of optimism um, because I think you're right. I think there are topics that we, you know, all it takes is to watch some old movies to realise... <laughs> Oh my goodness. And I used to go, oh, I used to love that movie. And I'm going, oh my, I can't even show it to my children, my teenage children, because I'm embarrassed. I've gone, I didn't realize. Um, so you suddenly realize how, how we are maturing as society. But I think we've got a long way to go uh, to actually, even if we just say as simply as in a boardroom in Australia or New Zealand today, um, in fact, I suspect New Zealand's more advanced than even an Australian take on this, that we can actually start with the topic of racism in our organisation. Let's talk about it. Um, and I think that's going to be a massive step and a massive sign of progress. And and I am going to say this because I know I'm at the moment I, talk, I feel like I'm broadcasting to everyone. I am almost probably challenging us all as leaders to not disguise this conversation through another lens. I think absolutely it ultimately gets down to commercial outcomes, economics, uh, value, uh, values, belonging, diversity, all of the things that are legit legitimized, but why can't you as an organization have the courage to put race um, as the agenda item? And let's talk from there and if that means we talk from a place of ignorance, that's okay because that's the first step. Um, if I talk from a place of ignorance and I learn one thing from the conversation, I'm actually making some progress. Um, in a moment, and I suspect it's even now, Yeah. Uh, uh, Wessa, Christine, one of the reasons we wanted to have you on the, on the episode is to showcase, uh, and I know the, the project actually has the word racism in its title, uh, which I think is awesome. Uh, we wanted to showcase that project and give give it a give it a, a vehicle and give it a platform. And both Amanda and I know nothing about it, so we're going to be totally curious and interested. Um, exactly. See where we go from there. Wessa, what do we want to know about resilience against? Oh, sorry. Racism, resilience against racism. Yes. So resilience against racism is a project that was born because of the pandemic, because of all the, the COVID inspired racism. Right. And so it, uh, we were looking at news and seeing all those reports around racism towards people who look Asian. And so Christine and I sat together and go, what, what can we do about it? And we decided that, first of all, as Christine said, everybody deserves to belong. Yes. <laughs> and therefore, in order to do that, how do we support people who have gone through racial abuse? And how do we support people who might actually observed racism from afar? Or how, how do we support bystanders who happen to see an incident of racism, how do we support them to help their fellow Australians in, in those situations? And so, yeah, that's that's basically what Resilience Against Racism is. Um, to, to use an evidence-based approach. Um, and can, I, can, I pause, can I pause yep. you before you go, go to that level? Did either of you experience it, um, racism through uh, COVID? Uh, did you... Uh, and all your friends or family experience something? My friend did, not yes. myself, because probably I just don't go out very often. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just lock myself down. And I, hope, I hope that's not the only answer, is to just stay <laughs> at home forever. No, uh, but it's like my friend did. Um, yeah, so he went to supermarket and I think... Uh, he mentioned to me and he got really upset. That's why he called me and, and he said that he got yelled at saying, go back to your country. 
because wow. of what the virus. So yeah, so I did a little bit of debrief with him. So, but yeah, he. Yeah, and that makes me feel sick in the stomach here. Yeah, it's really sick. Yeah, and, and it's um, for me, it's also my friend, so not me directly. And so I've had friends who've had direct racism, very similar to Christine's friend, and it's not the same friend. <laughs> <laughs> Just to clarify that. Oh, the, the sample that, size. That, that one poor guy, that one poor guy who's just traveled it around, getting all the abuse. Strong sense of Western Christine. They don't leave the house. They've only got one, one friend, one male friend who's out, out and about. Yeah. You have him on alternate days, you're allowed to call him. <laughs> I'm so sorry that we're laughing at this. <laughs> Um, but at, at the same time, though, what I've heard more is actually friends saying, because I've heard and seen so many racism reports in the news, I don't know if I should go out. Oh. So I think that to me, it's more the issue that yeah. people... Sorry, I missed that. You don't know whether I should... Don't know if they should actually go out. Because they're not sure how people will react. So when the first uh, uh, right. pandemic first started, many Asian people wear their mask. Yeah. yeah. And that's kind of like this this symbol. And it's almost like an invitation for people to abuse them for, for some reason. Yeah. And because of that, yeah, some, there were quite a few um, international students um, and also non-international students uh, who, who say, yeah, I'm not sure if I should go out because of this. Yeah, I got the same thing. Even myself, when I put on a mask earlier on during this pandemic, I noticed myself, I think, twice before I put it on. Um, but I said, yeah, don't worry about it. Just put it on. I just don't um yeah because yeah and i've got isn't isn't this amazing i don't know how you're feeling amanda but isn't that amazing like you're almost there's a little part of you prepared to expose yourself to more health risk just not to be alienated isolated i Um, immediately my immediately thought was uh like amanda check like amanda buckley check your privilege because i have not I, I don't know what that feels like and um, it's it's sickening to think that that is there's a there's you know thousands and thousands of people who like you said Colin are, you know second guessing just like going to the shops to get food um, or just going for a walk you know I just, and it's it is very sobering to hear that um, you you have to be uh, under a rock somewhere, not listening to any news to not know that everything you're saying is true. We've all heard the racist language around it. It doesn't help that the world's most incompetent leader um, and uh, horrible human is spouting so much of it as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. We're so, I just we, feel like apologising for everyone in the world. Like, I'm so sorry that this is happening to so many people. Yeah. Yeah, it is horrific where so you um i interrupted you midstream around uh you you kind of positioned the origin of the project uh we kind of personalized it a bit through some of the experiences of it um what what happened next or 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 where is it at now the project itself yeah i might actually pass it to christine to talk about the approach that we've taken in in terms of the project excellent yeah um so one thing that really excited us to start this project is because of the word or the concept of resilience um because wesson mentioned the three population that we we wanted to serve in this project uh is including people who watch the news and feel a little bit of overwhelmed because I certainly did when I watch all this news about Asian Australians, their their experience in, you know, in, in this country, right? So resilience is a way where we talk about um, well-being rather than illnesses. So we identify uh, a gap 
in the ecosystem, when someone experiences racism or microaggression, yes. where do they go to if they are not ill enough? Okay, so let's say my friend went to the supermarket and experienced that. He's not sick enough or ill enough to go to see a GP and get a referral to see a clinical psychologist. Yes. So when we think about this, is like, so who, who will be some a profession that can really help in this with, with this uh, population is, you know, organizational psychologists. Uh, for those who don't know what organizational psychologists do, is really we we focusing on, um, uh, you know, my our normal scope of work is really focusing on performance and wellness. So it's optimization of our well-being. So it's a preventative approach and building the inner resources and strengthening what you already have to move forward and to deal with the adversity. Now, any psychologist can deal with, uh, can support people after adversity, but we focusing on wellness, not the sickness piece. Yeah. So we, we hope to think that we cover the most population. That's why resilience in, is, is really a concept that we kind of really passionate about. We study about it, we practice and help people to use resilience to move through adversity. Uh, so that's our methodology around uh, using resilience. And there are different levels. We build individual capabilities, cap sorry, English, individual <laughs> capacity to deal with racism. Yes. Also relational, personal resilience yes. and also community resilience. So three level of resilience. Sure. Um, so can so I just slow, slow you down on that? So at the individual level, like what, what do I, what can I access in terms of, you know, being able to cope myself or deal with something that's happened? Yeah. Uh, at the community level, so I'm feeling supported, like I'm not alone. And what's the kind of middle le middle level? It's relational. So in your world with your friend and with your family, um, because of this uh, covert, I have heard a lot of people having argument or conflict yeah. with your friends and family when you talk about this kind of topic. Yeah. And how do we, that is more about how do we hold space for us, what the words that you use, Colin, curious about what we are, we, we, we are talking about, rather than defensive, rather than, you know, mixing political issues with racism. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. I um, am. <laughs> and I, about it. And doesn't make racism right. Yeah, right? yeah. I have... Um, like this has struck such a major personal call with me because I uh, experienced, uh, like I witnessed a conversation uh, in a supermarket. I overheard something and my immediate response was to uh, want to shut it down quickly, uh, rather aggressively. I was, I could feel myself getting enraged because I could, of what I had heard. Um, and, uh, but I was also paralyzed because I knew that I didn't want to just end up in a shouting match with someone whose opinion I was not going to change by shouting at them. Uh, so what I did was nothing. Um, and I just felt sick and I just left, uh, doing my, doing my grocery shopping, just left, sat in my car and, uh, it just felt sick. I wanted to burst into tears. I felt so ashamed that I didn't interject with a, you can't say that or that's not okay um, because my initial response was to be full of rage and anger um, and I didn't know what to do with it and I, it just it sat with me for like even just remembering it I'm feeling tense uh, so I think that's incredible to think that there's something out there for people who don't fall in the category of necessarily experiencing it but do witness it and wonder how can I both support my friends and my community but also um, not engage in an aggressive combative manner because I think that's the other thing as well is so much so much of addressing racism um, ends up being combative because it's so emotional um, yeah I'm all these I'm all these listening I'm hungry to find out more 
and and I think that's exactly the type of people we also want to support as well because I've had so many friends regardless of race who are like I, I so wanted to do something in that moment when I witnessed it I don't know what to do just tell me what I can do and I'll do it yeah, yeah. please solve all of our problems for us <laughs> yeah. no but yeah that's that's exactly right like what is can we get to a point where we all can um, know how to not walk past stuff, like not walk past, uh, do the right thing in an effective way rather than ostracizing that person even more? Because I remember there were campaigns that um, encouraged uh, bystanders to take action, mm-hmm. but it was a very simple campaign where basically say step in, and do something and help others. Yeah, <laughs> it sounds, it's probably a lot more nuanced than that. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and I think it's it's really hard. If I even put myself in that situation as a short Asian woman, if I see the other person might be really aggressive, I might not step in because I, I feel unsafe. And it, probably, it, may, it may not even be advisable like, um, like an, an expert in physical safety might say that, you know, actually that's not the advisable thing to do, like uh, stay physically safe. Uh, so so I'm, in a moment, I'd love to hear, I think at some level we want to hear as much as we can and hear where to access it and where, it's, where the project's at. But Christine, I also was struck by the idea that uh, you're actually saying this is a normal, uh, normal tool. This doesn't mean, like you can have a, a really uh, a, an experience that may make you start to doubt yourself and really worry about your state of mind. Um, but in most cases, all of us are in a state of heightened anxiety, not just about race, but about health. Um, and so you're starting to see people who think, oh, maybe I need to see a psychologist. Well, actually, you might need to see a psychologist if you're not feeling anxious, if you're not feeling worried. Um, so. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad. <laughs> yeah, there are. There is a laugh, laughter all round. Yeah. Uh, is that our acknowledgement of? Oh, that's that's funny because it's true. It's true. There might be some truth in that, but but what I'm hearing is that what you're trying to offer is something that is not at the extreme. It's at the normal level. It's like all of us experience um, normal issues uh, of confusion and. Uh, misunderstandings and sometimes deliberate attempts to alienate and isolate. Um, you're trying to offer something normal to everyone. 100% Colin, you put it in a nice way. You always do. Um, that's exactly why our project is born, is to really want to help people to channel some of these emotions healthily. Yes. Like we cannot ignore the fact that well, whether you experience it, witness it, or you even hear the news, even when we are talking about it, I can feel that we are emotional, four of us, right? Yeah. And this kind of emotions, we need to be aware and managed and channel it to healthy behavior to make a change. Yeah. That's why we wanted this project to, to be the advocate of this action, healthy action, but we cannot not hear and work with our emotions before we action. Um, yeah. Uh, I'm loving it. Um, uh, before, before we lose this opportunity, where is the actual project or platform at at the moment? Uh, how accessible is it? You know, what's your, for the two of you, what's your call to action? We, we can talk more about it, but what's the call to action? Yeah, so at the moment, we are, we've got a website, resilienceagainstracism.org.au. Which we'll put in the link to this podcast as well. And uh, so we will be running workshops to support people who are experiencing racism, witnessed it or observed it. Yes. Uh, and that would happen September, October, November, around that time this year. Right. 
And if people want to access it, uh, just go on our website and uh, book in times. What we really wanted to do, and this is something that Christy and I are still working on, is to enable us to create personalized and individual debriefs for people. Wow. Uh, And that's actually our vision and our dream to be able to do that because I think it's better to support people early and give them that debrief as soon as they experience it and therefore they're able to let it go and go on with life rather than bottling up and not knowing what to do and it will just ripple ripple through wow and this amazing Sorry, in terms of the debrief, I think this project, the hope is we are partnering with Asian Australian Oxides, which means a group of me who have lifted experience and also the expertise to do the debrief. Mm-hmm. So we, we, this is what we really wanted to do, is the precision of helping each individual. And, um, and again, maybe my take on this is uh, from an interest around... Uh, is it being funded at the moment? Do you have enough support? Do you have enough resources? There are some influential people out there who listen to Leadership of Fools. So, you know, take, take that moment. Um, yeah. are, are you getting enough support? So at the moment, we are funded by Study Melbourne to support international students and also Scannon Foundation to support people who are not international students. Yes. Uh, but at the moment, we, we do need more support. Um, like I said, with the individualized support, we do need um, the funds to create the framework to yeah. enable um, the organizational psychologists to actually do the debrief. Um, and because one of our philosophy is also to spread kindness as well. So we want people who access our service uh, at after that to perform an act of kindness to somebody else and so we actually create this community of resilience and and spreading kindness brilliant you're making me cry you 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 both are the best (laughs) honestly to um because it'd be very easy to it'd very it'd be very easy to be angry you know, it'd be very easy to be angry, but all I am hearing, look at me, I'm a mess, um, is that your your hearts and minds are so open and you're so willing to say, well, what's a way that we can, what's the, what's the way to approach this from a, from a place of kindness and humanity? You, you get my vote. You're just <laughs> wonderful people. <laughs> you're making me cry. <laughs> and uh, while, while we've got this, you know, got the, the microphones in front of us. Um, it sounds like at the moment there's a real need at the say the international student level, which makes complete sense when you think about a city like Melbourne or perhaps Sydney or, or pretty much any any re- regional sized city or, or capital city. Um, do you have a vision for this being more expansive? Like, you know, it sounds like to me organizations could really um really thrive from a platform like this and a support tool like this as, as to can society as a, as a whole uh, how, how how expansive is your vision oh absolutely we really want to go into organizations and be able to support their staff who might be experiencing racism so even though I, I like certain organizations might not necessarily have racism within the organization, but then if they're walking to work and experience racism along the way, organizations should really support them as well. Because when we think about, again, performance, if people gone through something like that, they're not going to perform that day or even that week, depending on how serious it is. So there's definitely a desire for us to expand it. And we don't just want to uh, close it off and make it just an Asian Australian thing either. We do recognize that there are many other Australians that experience racism, the Muslim community being a a, a key one, Indigenous communities and also African Australian communities. So we do recognize that there are uh, pockets of other communities um, experiencing racism 
but we wanted to be able to um, pilot this, I guess, with the Asian Australians because both Chrissy and I are both Asian. So we want to be able to test the model yes. and add in elements of the cultural aspects to it as well. Yeah, so it's, yeah, so that, which probably goes to those questions of the nuance. So it's not just some, um, some, uh, uh, what is it, the word I'm, uh, a little bite, bite grab that just applies to everything and everyone because it's not always like that. Exactly. And one thing that I can share is um, Asian Australians might want to think, oh, no, everything is actually okay. And yeah. not necessarily saying, oh, you know, I really need the help. Yeah. Uh, and so how do we uh, encourage Asian Australians to actually use a service like this? And other communities might have different slight nuances that we need to take care of. Yes. And, and we're committed to that. Great. Great. Um, which, again, I can't help but think uh, starts to pick up on some cultural norms and cultural traits like uh, like how how we all collectively uh, cope and deal. So it sounds like you're going to try to deal with this at both the individual level, which at the end of the day, especially with what we're experiencing right now, that sense of a human connection and touch seems more vital than ever. Um, but there are going to be some cultural trends that start to play out as well. One of the things I can say about both Christine and Wessa, um, and also I'll say this to everyone and just invite you to expand it if you need to, um, as well as being extremely human, uh, and you've probably witnessed this in the, in the conversation, you, you back in stats, data, uh, measure, like, you make things absolutely legitimate in the sense of let's prove that this is going to make a difference. Um, I'd imagine that's the case here as well. Hundred percent. I think anyone know me, you know how much I love about data. <laughs> Everything starts with a framework. <laughs> so pilot <laughs> collection of data and then validation. So. That's, that's how I've been trained and that's who I am. So both Wesley and I are kind of really passionate about evidence-based is because we wanted to bring some solid evidence to, to our society, to our government, to organisation, to prove that this is the solution, part of it, right? We can't say we are solving everything, right? This is part of it. Um, so, yeah. Brilliant. Brilliant. Wesley? Wesley? Yeah, um, absolutely. So as Christine said, I mean, that, that was partly the reason why I decided to work with Christine <laughs> because of the organisational psychologist approach to things like this, which is about collecting data and actually evaluating it and having a method to evaluate human yes. behaviour. Yes. And I think that's really valuable. And sometimes, because I've worked in the multicultural sector for many, many years, we don't tend to do that. Yes. It's always about the principles, yes. and which is important. But when we, when we can't measure something, it's hard to get organisations to start changing. Absolutely. So whatever, um, you know, there's, there's the old sayings, things like uh, whatever gets measured, gets done yeah. um, so that plays out a lot in organizational life and the skill uh, which is which is actually gold which is just you know the special source the ability to measure an intangible element like a human's experience of a sense of belonging or are they at their best are they at their peak performance are they holding back uh, is just gold and so um, in fact, probably that's how I first got introduced to both of you in some of the re research you'd done about the, um, the Asian Australian experience. Uh, and I was struck by a piece of data that, uh, you know, really freaked me out that sense of often people with an Asian uh, Australian background get promoted, but into very highly technical roles. Um, whereas they're more than capable, just as capable to do general management, people management, um, but there's, you know, and your stats were backing it up. Like it wasn't just individual stories. It was the stats that were backing it up. 
so it's really powerful. I know um, we want to kind of bring this to a bit of a close. I suspect I'd love to have another conversation. In fact, there's probably another 12 conversations. Yeah, <laughs> I feel I feel like uh, anything like this, you just start scratching the surface and you both have so much to share. That's um, right. That's and right. and we, we didn't quite solve the first question. We didn't quite solve it, but um, I, I guess it's it's finding out what the hot takes are from everyone, Paul. Is that what you're after? Yeah, yeah. Is it, it probably, it's a bit of a catch-all. Is there anything else you want um, people listening to know? Um, and is there anything you've also learned from this conversation, which is, I'd include Amanda, you and I in that, and that might be a good way for us to, to bring this one to a close. So anything else we want listeners to know and what did we actually learn from this conversation? Yeah, uh, Wessa, starting with you. Uh, well, I do actually want to make a mention of our logo because we created a logo very yes. specifically. Yes, so um, before we do anything, I will make sure, note to self, we put a copy of the logo, that, a link to the website, uh, and anything else you need us to promote in the, uh, the the speaking notes of the podcast itself. But talk about the logo. Yes. Uh, we used the eucalyptus leaf. And the reason, there, there are actually quite a few reasons why we do that. Firstly, to acknowledge the first Australians as the custodians of this land. And it is, eucalyptus tree, obviously, is a indigenous tree to Australia. Um, and second of all, eucalyptus leaves are sometimes used to bring fresh energy to a mm. situation mm. and to heal regrets, worries, negativity and things like that. So, so we use that as a symbol to bring fresh energy to the term racism and hit reset, basically. And that's what we wanted to do. Mm. And thirdly, um, eucalyptus trees are also very resilient and they have special fire adaptive traits. I think that's really yes. cool. Yeah. And, yeah, and they still survive after fire. So, so how, yeah, it's, it's such a great tree and it just um, highlights what resilience is really about. Mm. And um, at the back of it, we have a triangle and as we know triangle is a very strong structure so we want to it's the strongest shape it's the strongest exactly. shape <laughs> exactly and so we use that to basically to symbolize strength so we created this logo very specifically and very intensely uh, and so i just wanted to make a mention of that too oh, i love that i love that and in fact but you're making me feel a bit um what's the word uh envious uh, we we we're very fortunate to have a place down on the coast, down at Aries Inlet, which is full of gum trees and birds and smells. And I'm now feeling, you know, a bit of a longing to actually get back down there. Um, but it's a fabulous, iconic and symbolic picture of what resilience can mean. Christine. I just also wanted to say thank you to Colin and Amanda. Um, we wouldn't feel so much joy and um to be interviewed or having this podcast with with anyone else we would really love to it's our first time to share this project openly so we wouldn't choose to share with you know something else someone else or other other podcasts because we really believe in leadership of full and what you two bring to the the energy to it is really match our essence of it because you ask very intelligent questions it's not only that but it's very depth and you two are so much i guess loving and humanistic and all that all of the above um so thank you so much that's 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 what i wanted to say thank you thank you very humble and now and now amanda, amanda oh, cannot just... even speak anymore <laughs> no i'm just i'm just uh Oh, you, you, you're just both so inspiring. And I think, um, like, my takeaway will definitely be to, um, I, I'd like to think that I am someone that's in the process of learning and being educated um, and I want to be on the front foot. And I, I, think, I think that, that, that 
crisis of belonging has just hit me really hard, that idea of willingness. And then, um, you know, just the, the pair of you, I think you said it, Wessa, the idea of just coming from a place of be kind. Um, and what does kindness really mean? And looking at each approach to a situation um, and so I've always thought to myself, sometimes you don't have to be right, but you do need to be kind. Um, and there is a right, there is a kind approach to this, which is just beautiful. Um, and it is also the right approach. So you're both right and kind, which is great. <laughs> um, if I could say one more thing and then Amanda, feel free to, to bring this conversation to a close. Um, he, here's the thing, conversations by their very definition are about uh, things that we don't have easy answers to. In fact, there's no point having a conversation if there's a, there's a simple, clear framework. Might as well just broadcast that. All you need to do is this, followed by this, followed by this. Uh, so conversations are designed where there are no easy answers, uh, things are nuanced, things are complex. So racism therefore is a perfect topic for a conversation. Uh, we understand it's uh, going to be add levels of complexity and challenge and therefore it might make sense to do it in the safest way possible, e.g. you know instead of everyone at the boardroom, three of us, three executives get together and 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 start understanding their own take on it. Um, but just I suspect my message is just start, just get started. This is everything we learn in our lives is about taking one step. Um, so that's just one take. The other piece that we know Leadership for Fools is about is about stories. So that's what I loved about today's conversation. Um, I know that one of the ways of learning, uh, which is where we started today, is by visiting the website, uh, by actually... Uh, finding that eucalypt icon, and it's a great way of actually going, now people are curious about it, going, I want to have a look at it. Look, and you'll learn something. But uh, sharing our own stories, uh, and we've all got them. We've all got them. We may not have experienced direct racism, but we've been a witness to it. In fact, some of us are guilty of it. So the sharing of those stories really does make some progress for us all. And finally, um, not only are we humbled that you would say that those beautiful words about leadership of fools and about us, uh, we are so delighted to be the, the first, the first of many, I know you'll be out there talking to a lot of people, but the first of many ways of getting the message out there because um, we're humbled and delighted to be, play some sort of small role in it. Yes, thank you so, so much. So that is, uh, resilience Against Racism. Please, every listener, check it out and follow this story and see what happens next. Christine Jung, thank you so much. Wessa Chow, thank you so much. Colin Beattie. And we, we, didn't get, we, we didn't get to meet Ricky. Ricky the oh, cat. We Rick, Ricky He's the cat. My apologies. <laughs> He's enjoying his sleep. Ah, oh, oh, very good, very good. Let sleeping kittens lie. Yes. Um, that's it. thank you all so much please join us again uh, check the show notes for all this information check out that logo and find out what happens next for these wonderful women and this amazing project thank you so much everyone goodbye from me Amanda Buckley and Colin Beatty see you next time bye thepeoplespot.com is the place to visit when you need to make the people part of your role easier, more genuine and more suited to you. Thepeoplespot.com is the new home of people content from Colin Beatty and the team at Leadership of Fools. Thepeoplespot.com